With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Coming up in just a few minutes, one business taking on another over social media to try to ruin them. I'll tell you, this is Clark Rages, and it talks all about the fact how important it is for you to not just look at a rating on a business, actually read the reviews. And... Coming up yet later, how about parents wising up about what they do as far as helping their kids with college? It's a great thing, even if it makes you mad at your parents. I want to talk right now about Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day coming up is one that is something that a lot of people don't really think about, don't really do anything, particularly guys, till the day is upon you. And then it's the mad scramble to try to look good for your sweetheart or spouse. But the reality is a little advanced planning goes a long way in lowering the cost of putting on a really nice Valentine's Day for your loved one. First things first, let's talk flowers. Okay, so forever, I've had a tradition that my wife really appreciates because it means I thought in advance that I go buy her two dozen roses at Costco before the Valentine surcharge begins. And so I bring them to her and I do something really goofy I go to the front door of the house and ring the doorbell and present them as if I'm a floral delivery person. Since there seems to be this fascination with people having some stranger deliver flowers to you. The question is, do you put on the full floral delivery outfit? I don't. Okay. All right. So anyway, I I present her two dozen roses that... Uh, depending on your Costco now, uh, often they're eighteen ninety nine or seventeen ninety nine for two dozen. But it, it's just something we do because once you hit the Valentine cycle, it goes from two dozen to one, and the price goes up because it's just supply and demand. Uh, speaking of Costco as well, if you really rather would have flowers delivered. Costco, again, this year is doing their 50 roses for 50 bucks as delivered for Costco members. And there's a choice of colors of roses in the arrangement. And if you'd rather send and you want to send a ton of them, this is a a way to do it. But one other source that has become steadily more popular is Farm Girl Flowers that is an organization I've told you about before 
that is a fresh look at how to do flowers where they offer very limited choices, but in turn are able to buy at much higher volumes, get them fresher, and ship them cheaper than a lot of traditional floral delivery services. But I think bringing flowers to your sweetheart or spouse ahead of time that shows you were thinking is a great thing to do. And as for eating out on Valentine's Day, you want to do yourself a favor, you want to do your wallet a favor, and you want to do a restaurant a favor, go the night before Valentine's night because restaurants are overwhelmed on Valentine's. They have to bring in a lot of extra help that may not be very experienced. They tend to use a potentially more limited menu at higher prices. It's just not the same experience. So if you go the night before, you've shown her that you were really thinking and planning ahead. You give her a more special meal, a more special event. And of course, you present the chocolates you bought after last Valentine's Day. They're just a year stale. No, don't do that. <laughs> the chocolates you should give on the 15th. Buy them at the after Valentine clearance sales. And so you give the flowers before, you give the meal before, you give the chocolates after. But I'm just saying. And... So two things I want to address from Clark Stinks last year about Valentine's. First, the technical way to say it is Valentine Day, not Valentine's Day. But it's just how you say it. Okay? All right. Second thing, two Clark Stinks about this last year, about the whole thing about how I'm feeding right into the whole merchandising aspect of this basically made-up mostly American holiday, although it is in some other places now. And so there are many other ways you can express your love and affection without spending money. There, I said it. Jason joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jason. Hi, Clark. How you doing? Great. Thank you, Jason. How can uh, I be of service to you? Um, great. Just want to start by saying you, you're awesome. We've been listening to you for a few years now, and it's definitely been changing our trajectory financially, and it's just Thank really you. appreciated. And I buy my wife flowers at Costco also, so there we go. And do you buy them the day of Valentine's Day, or do you buy them early like I do as cheap guy? Oh, early. I just got her some last week, too. <laughs> Very good. There we go. Um, so my wife and I both run small businesses out of our home. I work full-time in a corporate office and do this on the side, and she uh, raises our two children, so she has a much harder job than I do. But um, she runs kind of cooking classes to encouraging kids to get into the kitchen with their parents out of our house in our kitchen. And I run a small woodworking business where I teach uh, kids, adults, anybody that's willing to learn how to use saws, power tools to create wine racks, uh, build six-pack holders, anything really rustic. Because um, you want kids drinking wine at a young age? Ex exactly, yes. right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, the, the wine racks are typically for the older adults. So. Okay. <laughs> and no, no alcohol is consumed during power tool usage. Perfect. <laughs> um, so at any given weekend, we have 60 kids plus their parents traversing through our property at any given time 
and obviously I'm using power tools. She's in the kitchen. We're just starting to get a little bit nervous as we're, we've been doing it for about a year and a half, two years now. It's starting to become a real business. Um, how should we protect ourselves? So we have a standard homeowner's policy. Uh, we've started to look into small business insurance. You talk a lot about the umbrella coverage. Yeah. Um, and as, so as we're kind of into our mid, uh, as we're kind of into our mid thirties, trying to uh, accumulate assets, we're worried that we, could we open our, ourselves for liability? You certainly could. And by the way, the way you're thinking about this is exactly how this usually happens, is that you're doing something that's more hobby than anything. It turns mm-hmm. into a real business. And then you're like, oh, what risks are there with this? And so um, I completely understand why this is now on your mind. A typical homeowner's liability policy will exclude an activity that you're doing that is for commercial gain. And since this, these are both businesses that are reporting income, you would find that your homeowner's policy and an excess liability policy and umbrella would likely exclude the activity you're doing. So what you would normally do is you would have on top of your homeowner's policy, you would have a business lines policy. Do you okay. use uh, an agent for your homeowner's insurance, or do you call an 800 number company? Uh, it's an 800 number company, a national brand. All right. So what you do is call the 800 number company and tell them you need to buy some business lines insurance or business li- uh, premises liability coverage. And then you'll get to usually a pretty senior person who's knowledgeable and you tell them you have this uh, referred to as a very part-time activity going on at your home. Okay. Which really is the truth in how you described it, because you're working full-time somewhere else. These are labors of love that both of you are doing that just happen to throw off some unexpected income, and you just need to make sure that you're properly protected. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so my wife is in a similar situation. She has... A professional certification as a yoga instructor and she's not covered if one of uh, the people in one of her classes gets hurt she's not covered by our liability policy so she has purchased a uh, a yoga instructor liability policy and they're very cheap and so when you're doing something as an additional activity it, you're not going to find that this is a brutal expense but it will provide the protection you want to have. That's great. Yeah, we just wasn't sure how expensive it would be. Um, we also have our auto wrapped into our home, and we had a, a introduction to a deer in our hood a few months ago. <laughs> and was that dinner forever. for you for a while or no? What was that? Was that dinner for you for a while since yeah, your exactly. wife's an expert at cooking? <laughs> no, I was flying for business, so I was 30,000 feet in the air on a five-hour flight and didn't find out till. uh almost landing <laughs> so no venison for a month or anything no no oh. sorry about um, that with the vehicle yeah and everyone's okay and everything but so, it, so in my wife's case answer to your question how expensive yeah. hers was 320 dollars for two years for uh you know 160 a year for two million dollars liability coverage oh wow oh, that's really cheap so it just depends on the activity and how your insurer will treat it how expensive that will end up being Ridge is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Ridge. Hey, Howard. Glad to. Thank you for letting me on the show. 
Absolutely. What's going on? Well, I uh, I had uh, sent a comment in on the Ask Clark segment. Uh, I been listening to your show for years. Love your show. Financial advice, bar none. You're the, not only the best on the radio, you're the best in the media. Well, wow, that's that's <laughs> quite a claim. Thank you. That's the good part. But I've only seen one thing that <clears throat> I believe you really, really got off base, and that was around the time you bought the Nissan Leaf, and you were talking about it on the air a few years back, and you really spoke very positively of battery cars in general, EVs or electric vehicles. And research has shown since that show aired that it's actually it's one of the worst purchases a person could make in automobiles in the United States. Recently, uh, the Nissan Leaf, for example, came out as the listing of the 50 worst buys you can make on an automobile looking more about resale value than any other factor. You're 100% right. And do you know why you're right? Why is that? I've got theories of my own, but I'd love to hear yours. All right, so there's two things that happen. One is that battery technology advanced much quicker than I think anybody in the industry, and certainly me as a non-expert outside the industry, expected so the range of the Nissan Leaf, I got mine uh, eight years ago, and the range on that Leaf, when I got it new, was about 80 miles on a charge. Today, there are electric vehicles that go 375 miles on a charge. So the Leafs ended up, by comparison, looking terrible. And then you add to that, the initial Nissan Leaf years had batteries that were defective, and Nissan has refused to replace them. So anybody who has an old Nissan Leaf like I had is looking at one that maybe effectively now has under 40 miles of range, and that destroyed the value. So the Nissan Leaf has depreciated more than any other vehicle sold in America. Turned out to be a lemon. It is a lemon. But, Clark, in, in my opinion, I, I, I own one of the largest used car lots in my home city for many, many years. I've sold that. I've retired from the auto business. But it's more about the public just simply does not want them. The public wisely has not bought into EVs. There are pockets of America, the West Coast and the East Coast, where where you, you find them. But it's not just the Nissan. I... I, I all of them, it's just not working in America. There's so much better choices with extremely high fuel-efficient gasoline automobiles. I, I think I think that um, I'm going to respectfully disagree with you that there's a huge swath of America that electric vehicles don't make sense because the distances people drive and how dense the population is. But in the 20 largest metro areas of the country, electric vehicles work very well and in fact the numbers sold in the united states tripled last year and i think we'll continue to see more and more adoption of them in urban areas both urban and suburban but i think you're completely right at least for the foreseeable future in areas that don't have a lot of population this podcast is brought to you by progressive insurance let's face it sometimes multitasking can be overwhelming 
Like when your favorite podcast is playing and the person next to you is talking and your car fan is blasting, all while you're trying to find the perfect parking spot. But then again, sometimes multitasking is easy, like quoting with Progressive Insurance. They do the hard work of comparing rates so you can find a great rate that works for you, even if it's not with them. Give their nifty comparison tool a try and you might just find getting the rate and coverage you deserve is easy. All you need to do is visit Progressive's website to get a quote with all the coverages you want, like comprehensive and collision coverage or personal injury protection. Then you'll see Progressive's direct rate and their tool will provide options from other companies, all lined up and ready to compare, so it's simple to choose the rate and coverages you like. Press play on comparing auto rates. Quote at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Today's Clark Rageous moment is about a problem that is so present in retail and other businesses that depend on reputation in what people post about them in social media and on review sites. There's a big fight going on in federal court that I read about in the Kansas City Star where one jeweler was manipulating listings about another jeweler and putting up these horrific reviews and apparently paying people in foreign countries to write bad reviews about their competitor. And it's going to be quite an interesting Donnybrook in the courts. But the thing was, if you read any of the reviews where people were giving trashed reviews, you could tell they weren't legit. And that's why whenever you're trying to decide, particularly on a service business or a local business, don't just look at how many stars rating they have on reviews or with any hotel or restaurant or whatever. Read the reviews because... When you start digging in and reading the reviews, that's when you find the real answers that work for you. But when I read reviews, and I read ones that are way too glowing or way too negative, I kind of throw those out and read the mass of what people are saying overall, the people who seem to be reasonable or maybe real people. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. I have addressed recently the extreme burdens that are falling on former college students that are changing the course of their adult years because of the debt they took on during their student years. But something I have not addressed enough is how parents borrowing money for their kids' education has demolished so many parents' lives and impoverished so many parents in their later years. Now, I'm excited to share with you a new survey by Sally May, which is one of the private student loan lenders, that has found a big shift and how parents are thinking and acting with the idea of borrowing money for their kids' college. That the number of parents who feel like it's their job to pay for their kids' college has dropped to one in four. That parents are starting to realize 
that the consequences are too severe to their financial security and their future if they borrow money for their kid's college. And one thing you should never do is take money you've set aside for your own retirement and use it to pay for your kid's college. And today, parents overwhelmingly realize that. Three quarters of them say they are not touching any retirement funds to pay for their kid's college. I know that some parents feel like it's any child, that they haven't done their job. You may be filled with the case of the guilts. Let go of all of that. It is not your fault that state legislatures have decided over the last 15 years to greatly reduce support for state-supported colleges, which has had the effect of driving up state college, college tuitions to stratospheric levels at the same time that private colleges have actually, although they're still more expensive, have actually in many cases been moderating their tuitions. But regardless, we're talking big money here. And as I'll say and say and say again, to you if you are a teenager, do not go to a college that's going to require great indebtedness on your part just because it's your it school if another college would be much more affordable and keep you from borrowing up to your eyeballs and beyond. Samantha's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Samantha. Hi. Samantha, you got a question for me about your money. Yes. What's going on? I have, uh, my husband and I have, our mortgage is 80000 and we are trying to get, get out of debt for three to five years. And like you were saying, um, we had a situation with my daughter, who did very well in high school, had like eight um, scholarships and but she decided she wanted to go to a private college in New York and so we were like okay you know we granted her that now she has done quite well she's getting her master's in May congratulations to, yeah thank you she had we're, but we're still having to even though she got grants and she was there her master's was paid for but we still had to come out of pocket like her expenses for you know living somewhere and different things of that nature. So that has put us behind in trying to get ourselves debt-free. So we want to be debt-free in three to five years without mortgage. We don't want a mortgage. We don't. Well, let's talk about whether that, as great as that would be, if that's the best use of the dollars that you would devote to it. What's your mortgage interest rate? It's at 3.5. Okay, so you have an incredibly low interest rate. Yes. And so it would be a higher priority, even though it's fantastic to be mortgage debt-free, for you to take money that you would devote to extinguishing the 80000 as quickly as you possibly could instead to take the money you would devote to that and put it aside into Roth IRAs. As an example, are you both still working? Yes. Yeah, so if you put money in Roths, which you're allowed to put uh, 6000 a year into, 
or if you're past age 50, you're allowed to do an additional 1000 that money grows tax-free, provides enormous flexibility in retirement, and can be spent tax-free or is spent tax-free. And so as great as it would be to be completely mortgage debt-free, it at an interest rate of three and a half, it's not the highest priority. Okay. Um, now you could, because I hear you're discouraged. <laughs> you could, if you wanted, you could split the baby, and you could um, pay off the mortgage. Let's say you do in six years instead of four, and you take money that would have gone towards the mortgage paying it off in four years, and instead that money goes into the Roth. Because the whole idea of being mortgage debt-free is awesome. It's great. And not having to worry about a mortgage payment in retirement is great. But you can't eat your house. And so the Roth money, because it is tax-free money and it grows tax-free, it provides you so much more flexibility about how you handle money and live in retirement. If you just paid this 80000 as agreed, how many years would it take you to pay it off? Just like how many years are left on your mortgage right now? Well, uh, we, I think it would be, it's like, it's five years. That's the reason why we said five years. Because we have been trying to like do uh, double payments Every you know every month, you know instead of paying the amount that that is due, we you know we we put another mortgage payment with it. Oh, you've so, been doing that for a while. Yes, we have. Oh, well then you've already had a lot of impact with the length of the loan. So you're telling me if you paid no extra payments now, you'd still be mortgage debt free in five years. Yes. Oh, yes. then let it run the five years, and take the money you would use to accelerate it. And instead, put that money in a Roth IRA. Do either of you have Roths yet? Well, I I don't have a Roth, but I work at an industry where we can do something like that. So um, I'm I'm definitely because they they did tell us they were trying to encourage us to do that before, and I I who am I? Yes, I did not do it. No, you're not. I am. You're, you're not. I mean, you you are really good in how you've handled money. So give yourself some credit, but you want to have some cash. And that tax-free cash is really special later on. Jessica joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jessica. Hey, how are you? Great. Thank you, Jessica. You're worried about ID theft. What's going on? Well, I had um, a couple of phone calls. One of them started about maybe three months ago. I had a phone call where somebody was basically offering to buy a property that they assumed that I owned. And the problem is I've never owned a property in my life. I'm only um, 28 years old. I'm still renting properties. I've never never even applied for a home loan. The most that I've had is maybe a car loan. And then I received another one a few weeks ago. Um, I believe it was a different gentleman, and it was the same thing. So I was concerned about maybe did somebody potentially use my name to buy a house because I'm, I'm unclear as to how they even got my phone number or my name or anything. So that would be that would be a very unusual circumstance because if somebody's committing fraud, usually they're trying to strip the value from you of a home you do own. They're not trying to buy a home and have payments made on it with ultimately 
the value of that going to you. So this is really odd, and I can see why it would be unsettling, because why do people think I own a place? So have you checked your credit file with the credit bureaus to see if any outstanding mortgage is showing on your credit reports? Um, I have, maybe not within the last month, but I have checked my credit in the last four months. And uh, because I had just received a, a new credit card and I was checking it then and I, I've never seen anything about any kind of mortgage or anything. Like I said, I've had the most I've had as far as um, big loans would be just car payments. And so both of those are on there and the credit cards that I've haven't had in the past are there. But there's nothing indicating that there's a property under my under my personal information. OK, so the next time somebody calls, say, um, which of my properties are you calling about? Right. <laughs> And see if you can, you know, just act like you're engaging them in conversation. See if you can find out where supposedly you own property. Right. Now, they did give me a little bit of an indication of where they were. They, they Okay, one of the messages, one I received last week, did say that I was in an area and I was purchasing one property and I noticed that your property was available or it was next door. It was something similar to that. So it was, they were in a general area already purchasing one. They saw this supposed property that I own and then they start reaching out to me to purchase it. So they kind of do give me a general idea of where they were when they supposedly found the property. But I mean, like I said, I've never owned one in my life. How close is it? How close is this supposed property to where you live? Um, it's, it's within the metro um, it, limits that I live in. So, I mean, maybe 45 minutes. All right. So, minutes. but no address was given or anything like that. So next time, next time that you get one of those calls, see what information specific you can get out of them as to, uh, and just say, which of my properties are you calling me about? What address is that? Right. And say, okay. you know, I, I really am not interested in this but thank you for your call so you can establish an exact address and then you've got something you should be able to run down okay so do you think this sounds like a scam in general or do you i think don't know i and you know i wanted you to tell the elements of this because if there is some kind of scam that somebody's trying to run where they know you don't own a property and pretending you do then maybe somebody can lay, can fill in the pieces on that but at this point, I'd say this is just very, very mysterious and odd. Right. Yeah. Um, I have been getting letters. I was very curious about what you said because I've been getting letters from people who think I own a property that I don't own wanting to know if I'm interested in selling it. And so I, I in the midst of you calling about this, I've gotten no phone calls. I'm just getting letters. Right. And I got one just last week again from somebody asking if I wanted to sell a property and they had this address on there and I'm like huh I don't own that so that's why I'm wondering if someone will be able to shed some light on this for you and me and if we do come up with a lead that explains this then we'll certainly reach back out to you and make sure you know Yes, I'd appreciate that because really and truly I wanted to also bring it to your attention because I know how, how thorough you are on stopping these type of things. So if we can catch it before anybody else really gets damaged, that would be wonderful. Well, and, and as to what the issue is, what is actually going on here? Is this yeah. clerical error territory or is there some kind of thing where somebody's going to come back at me in some way 
who thinks I own a place I don't owe or own or what. But right. if we're able to untangle the mystery, we will, I'll, I'll, I'm curious because of the ones I'm getting. And obviously you are curious and worried about what you've been hearing in these phone calls. Karen's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Karen. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you, Clark? Great. Thank you. Karen, you are in the midst of trying to sell something, and you're yeah, having some... Car, uh, some a used car. A used car. And you're yeah. having some odd things happen. Fill me in. Yeah, I paid an online advertiser to advertise my car online. A few days later, I got some requests to purchase my car, and they very clearly said that they would send me a certified check, cashier's check. Once I received that money cash in hand, then they would send somebody to pick up the car, and I would give them the title. In the beginning, or the first one, I was kind of cautiously optimistic, but then after that, I received, well, as of date now, I've got six different offers with the same similar offer, where they're willing to pay with sight unseen what I'm asking for, send me a cashier's check, and very specifically say, once I have the cash in hand, then they'll send somebody to pick up the car. Okay, so you smell a rat, and you're right. Do you know how this actually plays out? I can't imagine how it would play out, because they keep, like I said, they say that uh, I'll have the cash in hand before I have to give them the car or the title. Right, so let me tell but you the, let me tell you the full drill. Let me tell you the full drill, and it goes two different bad directions from here. Okay. So your first tip off that something's wrong is when people are willing to pay you what you're asking for a vehicle, sight unseen. Right. I mean, you buy a used car, you want to know what it's like, what condition it's in. And and so somebody just saying they're going to buy it, and they're going to send you a cashier's check. Well, the problem with cashier's checks is they can be counterfeited today with not even any real difficulty. And the counterfeits are so good that a lot of times bank tellers can't even tell that it's a counterfeit cashier's check. So the way checks clear, let's say one of these people who's contacted you sends you the check, you deposit it, it clears, you get the money. Okay? Okay. In one scenario, they come and take the car away, and it's gone, and it turns out to be Grand Theft Auto. Cars either uh, quickly shipped overseas, or it's chop-shopped, where it's broken down into parts to be mm-hmm. sold illegally, the parts sold illegally. In either case, you're out all that money. Because what happens is, after you got the money, and it can be as long as six weeks later, the check will come back bounced as a counterfeit. And you have to pay all the money back to the bank. You're out all the money, and you don't have the vehicle anymore. Wow, interesting. So the other scenario is where the person has no interest in your car, just your money. And they will send you a cashier's check in excess of the amount you've agreed to sell the vehicle to them for. And they say, oh, If you don't mind, just send me back, I trust you, just send me back the extra money. And then you do that, you send them back whatever the extra is, and you never hear from them again, they never come get your car. The check then bounces, and you're out whatever you sent to them. Mm -hmm. 
So any the only way to sell a car and know you're dealing with a legitimate buyer is to deal with them in person and complete the transaction at a bank branch where you get actual real money right then and there. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.